0: Hello and welcome to Movie Challenge Accepted. I'm Jason. And I am Arco. And we're back with what turned out to be an unexpected movie challenge, a uh, monster movie challenge week. Uh, it's Monster Week here on Movie Challenge Accepted. Who knew?
1: Yeah, who knew? Who knew that uh, we would both have uh, monsters on our screens uh, this weekend?
0: We did. Two completely different kinds of monsters, um, yeah, one sorry. of which was. Well, both were unexpected, but mine more so because you originally challenged me with the Mel Gibson movie from ninety nine, Payback.
1: Right. And who the hell knew that? You couldn't even stream it. I mean, basically if I wanna watch you I want if I want you to watch that film, I'm gonna have to buy it and send it to you. So yeah. we're gonna put that one on the back burner for now. And yeah, it decided it'll, to give you uh, a real monster movie which is uh, Shin Godzilla from 2016.
0: You did give me a, a legitimate monster movie, although I think I gave you a legitimate monster movie too oh, yeah. just in a different way. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you uh, did. So we yeah, we're going to go we're going to dive into Shin first because you just rewatched this. Like, right right right. Within the last half hour. Yep. And I just watched it for the first time mm-hmm. today about I ended about 30 minutes ago. Right, right, and I I think
1: we both uh, took a a a load of notes on this particular film, uh, but probably for different reasons.
0: I have more notes on this film, (laughs) excuse me, than for any movie challenge accepted podcast in history.
1: Wow, that is saying something. Um, You know, going into this film, I I did have this uh, on the list of films that I did want you to see. I knew that you had not seen it, and. I know that you are a fringe Godzilla fan Um, yes yeah so you know it in pop culture and you've probably seen the sillier campy movies from the 60s and 70s like I did and you know it was on HBO all the time so you definitely saw those films but you you probably I, I think you did tell me over the last few years that you really never got into the newer ones from the 90s and the 2000s is that is that correct
0: yeah, I did not see the most recent one. Uh, I think the last Godzilla movie I saw was the Matthew Broderick version. Right. <laughs> yes. Oh, wait, that's a lot. <laughs> hang on, hang on. I did see parts. Wasn't um, Ken Watanabe in... Yes. Okay, He was
1: in the, the first one. Uh, he was in the first reboot one from uh, 2014. That was with um, Aaron Taylor-Johnson and uh, Elizabeth Olsen in that one, and Brian C- Cranston had a cup of coffee in that film. Um, the big That was the first big Hollywood um, take on, well, uh, the try to take on uh, Godzilla since 1998's um, terrible Matthew Broderick version. So I enjoyed that. I enjoyed those films for what they were.
0: Yeah, I I grew up much like you watching like the local New York area channels like uh, WPIX Channel 11 and Channel 9. Right. And right. on the weekends, Sunday afternoons or early Sundays, they would play the old black and white uh Godzilla movies from like the 50s and 60s. Right. And that's pretty much my exposure to Godzilla, mm-hmm. excluding right. the Broderick one. Right. Right. Um and then you know, th- but there there were so many of them like I I've seen a bunch of them, but I, I only have like a vague awareness of Godzilla as a character and sort right. of his import in, well, in Japan. I mean, he's a much more important character in Japan, but there's oh, a yeah. whole culture around oh, this, yeah. this, this, these movies, right? Like I asked yeah, you, the first absolutely. thing I said was, yeah. are you a scholar? Because yeah. I don't know anything. <laughs>
1: Well, this one uh, Toho Pictures is the um, creator and owner of the rights to everything Godzilla. And this was their 29th Godzilla film that was produced by Toho. That does not include the films that were uh that that, that were not that were not produced by them, that were done in America. Although I do think they had a small hand in those films. But um, can you imagine 29 films since the 1954 version? So he has been all-encompassing within Japan uh, for the last 60-plus years. And besides the first one that came out, which was everybody is universally loved for what it was, and we'll go into that, this film... The Shin Godzilla, which came out in 2016, which to me was a surprise because by that point, we were deep into the Hollywood version of Godzilla. We knew that there was a monster verse happening at the time. For this one to come out out of left field, for me, was a surprise, and the fact that it did as well as it was, critically,
0: and maybe not financially, is even more of a surprise. So with that, go ahead. Yes, overwhelmingly, like, again... Rotten Tomatoes, Take It For What It's Worth, or Metacritic. Um, overwhelmingly, the critics that I see that reviewed it around the world seem to be fairly positive and complimentary to it. Not doesn't appear to be overwhelming in praise, but right. there does seem to be a lot of like, hey, this is an, a, a cool new take on a, on a time-tested character. I loved the first hour of this movie. I loved. Okay. I I took. I was texting you as I was watching it, and you know we don't we, we try to keep it authentic, the integrity right. of the pod above yeah, you all. Tell me if you liked it or not. <laughs> I won't tell you anything. All I do is tell you that I'm watching it, and there right. I have thoughts. I'm taking notes, mm-hmm. and something happened around halfway through, and I'm looking at my my scrolling through my notes here, and my notes go from this level of excitement and almost this sense of um. <laughs> This sense of of breathlessness that right, the first right. half of the movie imposes upon viewers, mm-hmm. and then it kind of it kind of meanders off, and ultimately is underwhelming to right. me. <clears throat> but, but the conceit of the movie I thought was fascinating, like how they were doing it. Did you right. first? Did you watch this subtitled or dubbed?
1: So I tried to find the dub version, and I wasn't able to get it because I actually looked up which kind, uh, which film would be uh, would be better to watch, and uh, the dubbed one, the dub version was said to uh, be very, uh, very good these days as compared to the old days of dubbing these types of films, and I was not able to watch it, so I had to watch the subtitle. You know how I feel about subtitles. I, I Kind of takes away, kind of takes away from the action, and you, and there you was know what.
0: You know what Bong Joon Ho says about subtitles? Do not fear an inch of, of text at the bottom of your screen.
1: Well, you know what the problem is. There was so much talking done in this oh film that
0: my god,
1: yeah, that it that the subtitle version, like if the if the dubbing is going to be as good as the subtitles and they're saying exactly what they're meant to be saying, then you know, dubbing all the way. But um, that being said, you know, I did not I did not uh, have a bad time with this film.
0: Yeah, I I was I had I rented it from uh, iTunes and I had the option they give you the subtitled or the dubbed option. I oh, always so go subtitles. You, oh. I, <laughs> always <laughs> subtitles, always in everything. I right. I want I, I like reading books. And if, if you can put books on the screen with words, it's sort of a masochistic appeal to me that I I can be reading and watching something at the same time. I, I you love are it. in heaven, just, nirvana. Oh, oh, it just it gets me going. <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy.
1: <clears throat> you see what I have to deal with, people? <laughs> um,
0: But, yeah, man, I didn't expect that, like, right, A, f- I, I paused it at four minutes in, mm-hmm. and the movie was already out of the gate like a bullet train. Right, right. It starts so fast and the right. cuts and the editing is so machine gun like mm-hmm. you spend almost no time the a there's an, almost no time where someone is not speaking right that every it, and not only that not only is, is someone always speaking you're going from character to character to character to character mm-hmm. and it, the movie is more about the governmental and bureaucratic response yes. to Godzilla than it mm-hmm. is about Godzilla.
1: Yes, and and um, that's one of the themes that I got from this film. I'd say that there are three uh, three themes altogether: uh, the uh, government response to a disaster, in this case uh, Godzilla. Um, also, the older government versus the younger and more. Um, more up to date, I guess, uh, politicians are doing things a little bit differently. Uh, that's another theme. And then there's the overarching nuclear theme that is in every single Godzilla movie since the beginning of time. There's always that that um, you know what, that destruction that nuclear power has wrought to not only Japan but the threat of it to the rest of the world. That's the third theme that I got from this film.
0: Yeah, I'd say uh, exact same things that I picked up because I did not... I've always been aware of sort of that Godzilla as a nuclear power uh, parable, like a warning uh, for Mm -hmm. our age and and for our generation and the generation before us. And obviously, I think that stems from the atomic bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, which are referenced in the movie. Yes. But I did not expect the movie to be about youthful disillusionment with government bureaucracy. Oh, yeah. I, and again, I don't have a ton of knowledge of Japanese culture. Right. Me neither. But my perception as an American is one of efficiency. Mm -hmm. I've always kind of been led to believe, I don't know if it's through, you know, cars and and machines that just work. And there's this sort of this sense of things that are made in Japan. And this goes back to when I was a kid. Oh, same with me. Yeah. yeah, there's a sense of like these things work, and my perception as an outsider who knows almost nothing is that the culture and the society works towards the whole. Like right. the whole is more important than the individual. It's the antithesis of America. Right. And I was shocked that this movie is essentially about disillusionment with that with the established institutions in Japan. And I was fascinated I, by that.
1: Uh, yeah, and I think that you know when you look throughout history, there's always there's always a revolution of sorts where the younger generation is now starting to become disillusioned and acting up towards the the established order. Um, this film shows that and while you say that you may not know a lot about Japanese culture, I'm sure you remember the 2011 earthquake and tsunami that they had there. Uh, it's the 2011 Tohoku uh, earthquake and tsunami which also led to the uh, Fukushima uh, nuclear disaster the you nuclear, remember all that yeah. right yeah i do so this film coming 5 years after is directly uh, referencing those disasters and how the entire um, uh, how the entire country of Japan felt that the government did not do enough to i don't I don't know how you help uh, you know to prevent something like that obviously but to help the people get through it there was a a lack of response or a proper response they feel and this movie uh, really touches upon a lot of those tones
0: yeah and i the movie essentially unfolds in the japanese government and it shows the constant reactions which are always one step too late of the the prime minister and his ministry and all his advisors and the the constant um, up and down of information, information flowing up, and everyone's constantly looking for someone above them to approve what they're doing. No one wants to make a decision. Yes. Everything ultimately flows to the prime minister. And one of the more interesting and fascinating uh, aspects of the movie is the reluctance to deploy the military for yes. for, for anything. And, and again, they reference not since World War II, mm-hmm. and there's this... Uh, the the prime minister almost has to have his uh his 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 arm bent backwards in order to finally activate the self defense force yes
1: and and he <laughs> you know he he uh, hesitated when there were just we saw um a few people in the area he wanted absolutely nothing to do with any kind of casualties caused by the japanese military he it, it was almost like he was you know, he was afraid. He was afraid of what, whatever kind of uh, blowback he would get if something got, if somebody got hurt because of his decision to um, uh, deploy force.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's it was kind of shocking that the whole movie ends up being an indictment of the ruling generation, the ruling class. And I, I'm aware that there's, uh, there's been sort of economic stagnation in Japan again only vaguely and I'm not an economic journalist I'm no journalist neither of us are we're <laughs> no, just no, no, two no, guys no, with no. microphones Yeah. Mm-hmm. but from what little I've taken in through news and through the zeitgeist you know mm-hmm. there seems to be a sense of disillusionment with Japan as a nation and that's right. that's exhibited a few times through the younger characters yes. yes and namely there's a scene when one of the younger um, minister the advisors um mm-hmm. Uh, Rando Yaguchi, who's essentially the main character. Yes. Uh, when he puts together a secondary task force to deal with, with Godzilla, his first speech is, there's no rank here, we're all equal, all we care about is getting the job done. Right. And then these younger people, essentially, mostly younger, except for a, a biologist or two, mm-hmm. they essentially are the ones who uncover the ultimate uh, device that, that puts Godzilla down.
1: Right. And what you're referring to also um, has points with when uh, that character, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to, you're going to have to tell
0: me his name again. It's, uh, the main uh, character. Uh, <laughs> Rando Yaguchi okay. is, the, is the credited character's name played by Hiroki Hasewigawa Okay. So Rando, when he is
1: speaking, like not a lot of people are listening to him. They actually dismiss the fact that he said that, there are reports that this is a living organism. And then later on, he says something to the cabinet members. And, you know, one side is him. He's younger. He's probably in his mid-30s. And on the other side of the table, the people he's speaking to are all in their 60s. And they're looking at each other when he's when he's talking. And they say, who are you addressing? Because they're looking yes. at each other. And he has no; they have no idea. Like, he's saying, you need to do this. And they're looking like... Well, we don't know who you're talking to, so we have no idea what you're what you're talking about. What we're supposed to do here, Um, and a a lot of it's almost it's it's definitely a satire. It's almost a parody of government. And I thought one of the funnier lines, you know, even though it's you know tragedy happening out there, you know, it's a monster movie. So one of them was where there are people in the cabinet talking to the prime minister, and they say. We haven't really determined what agency this all falls under. Yeah, you know, it's like it's like is it the health at the health agency? Is it the army? Is it you know? Is it us? And you know, like you said, it wasn't until later on when the younger bureaucrats took over that they were the ones that said, you know, there's no rank here. We're all in this together. We don't care. Everybody has an idea. Bring it to the table.
0: Yeah, and obviously that's an idea that the director and the writer uh, is interested in. And that was Hideke Anno. Now, you okay. and I know I, I know nothing about anime. Okay, like nothing. I've, I I remember watching Robotech as a kid, right. and that's about the extent. Um, Hideki Anno is the director and creator of the Evangelion movies. Am I getting? I'm probably mispronouncing that. Um, or, okay, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm oh, not an anime. Wait, hang person on, Are you at all? not an anime mm-hmm.
1: scholar? I am not an anime scholar. I do ah. like a few anime. And we've uh, spoken about having anime as a challenge. See if that would work in the future. But what you were talking about, and it is Evangelion. Thank I you. I have never seen them. And uh, you know, not
0: not really on my list to see. OK, so uh, th- this is a an, an anime director. And he's directing. I don't know how much of his other work, because I'm completely unfamiliar with his work. But I don't know how much of his other projects are live action versus anime. Um, but there's a moment in the movie when Godzilla sort of evolves, right. and really lays into Tokyo. When I think he utilizes anime as a as a means, it looked very much like a like a cartoon, like animation, and yes, I couldn't I, tell. I, I know I know what you're talking about. Okay, and um, um
1: I, I don't think that the I don't think the CGI in this film were particularly strong. Uh, oh, in, in, I in, in in when he re- reaches well Godzilla has like five forms in this particular film when he reaches his fourth fil- form where he is um you know upright and blasting everything that's definitely not the best cGI that I've seen i I actually like the one where he's on all fours running through the <laughs> through the streets as like a bipedal animal that I thought that looked pretty cool
0: I I thought he looked like a muppet when he has the great big eyes.
1: Yes, I mean he he definitely did look like a muppet there. However, I you know the whole the way that he was coming on, on shore um, from from the from the river, it was uh, very reminiscent of the videos that we were seeing during the 2011 earthquake. If you remember the way that the the boats and the cars were basically in the streets with the oh, water. Yeah, so I didn't that, think yeah. of that. That makes oh, a lot yeah. of sense. If, and honestly if you still have it you know you can still rent it you, you still have it rented you could actually go from a youtube video to show that and you'll see that it's basically the same exact thing
0: except for the godzilla muppet <laughs> that's in the middle of the uh, streets you, you know if you had told me i don't think i would have made the connection between the title the the tsunami and the the nuclear power uh, disaster mm-hmm. um and mm-hmm. i the timing works yeah it, it all makes sense i it, i wouldn't have made that connection if you had mentioned it but it totally makes sense yeah.
1: But, but which which goes into your big point about how it is an indictment the film is an indictment of of the uh, of the way that government is you know being uh, being run and not run efficiently and how people are becoming um, you know tired of it basically how the younger generation is not happy with the way that it's being run.
0: Yeah, that's definitely, like, it seems to be his primary theme, but the reason why I brought uh, Anno up, and I'd hope that you were familiar with his work, is I didn't know if the concept of sort of that generational decay and the disillusionment with institution and bureaucracy, if that was, like... a th- a recurring theme within his work and obviously since neither of us have seen anything else uh, that question is going to go unanswered and well, we'll have to- you know, if anybody if anybody
1: listens to this uh, you know you can send us some some, some suggestions some articles that um, or maybe some things to watch where we can answer this question
0: yeah that would actually be helpful because yeah. uh, neither of us are familiar enough with this director's work mm-hmm. um, I was aware of this movie when it came out I didn't see right. it and again mm-hmm if we didn't have this podcast i probably wouldn't have seen it <laughs> and i it, that again to get back to the, the the first half of the movie i'm some of my notes i i felt th- i said at the, there's a note that i have that says this movie does not let up i feel like i'm holding my breath it is so propulsive in the mm-hmm. opening 50 55 minutes yep. as the government tries to come to terms with godzilla effectively slithering through tokyo mm-hmm. because he's evolving and he looks like a Muppet. I don't care what you say. Um, <laughs> but then mm. there's a turn because what yes. I was telling you and a friend of ours, th- as I'm watching it, I'm like, "Oh my god! I have I'm watching this and I have thoughts." And usually mm-hmm. that's a negative thing, but that that didn't that wasn't negative. I was, right. I, I was I didn't
1: think it was negative.
0: I was all in on this right. movie. Yeah. I thought it was incredible. Right. And then. Godzilla freezes okay so
1: it, that would be the point that I would have imagined that you were going to um, say that the whole film definitely takes a tonal change um, for me it was right around the right around the time that he burns the city in, yep. in, a, in a great in a great scene by the great way, great scene and he uh, destroys basically the entire government with a you know the helicopter scene where it, it he he kills the prime minister and basically the whole cabinet, and that's when now the government falls to the younger bureaucrats. And, um, you know, just an aside, the greatest scene that I've seen in a Godzilla film is when he's walking towards the camera and he's powering down. He's still got his purple about him and, you know, the flames behind him, and I thought that was fantastic.
0: <laughs> yeah, I thought it was fantastic, and it's clear that the, the symbolism is pretty clear right. that Godzilla is a product of a previous generation's misdeeds, Mm -hmm. and those misdeeds come back, literally come back to haunt them, and those misdeeds end up killing that generation. It beheads the head of the government, and that puts a younger generation into a position of power, because this movie, beyond being a monster movie, it's a political thriller. For a little bit, I thought it was going to be a spy movie when the American ambassador shows up, who, oddly enough, the American ambassador really can't speak English, um, uh, nobody
1: in in the, in, the, in the Godzilla movie film, any English speaking person in a Godzilla film cannot speak English correctly. I don't know what it is. <laughs> it's well, almost like they're making fun of us.
0: I, and you know, and that might be the case because, it, uh, when, you know, I've tried to do some writing and there's a whole sense of like trying to get, if you're writing about a particular group, there's this, uh, movement now. And I think a, a proper one mm-hmm. of trying to get someone from a particular group to kind of give you input so that what you're writing is going to feel authentic, or at least um, not... A lot of times it's done not to offend, but also it's done to sort of get a a sense of verisimilitude. And every American that shows up in this movie obviously feels like a caricature. And America, as a country, is kind of the bad guy in this.
1: Yeah, they don't come off looking very very helpful, Um, almost like a a bully, although it, it is said that there are... Uh, a bunch of other nations looking to um, do the same thing that the United States are uh, looking to do, which is basically the nuclear option, whatever it takes to put down Godzilla so that their own interests, or if not their own country, is uh, threatened. So I would imagine that we did hear that China is also looking at the whole um, situation, and uh, I think Korea was also spoken. Um, I I like the scene when, uh, when Japan... Is reaching out to people in Sweden, where their the supercomputer is. Which, by the way, second time I've ever seen that Sweden has some sort of internet supercomputer that's uh, everything runs through them. The other one being uh, Age of Ultron. So uh, a little harken back to that one. Oh, and, really? Uh, no, yeah. And they said that um, you know one said, well, we can't really you know open our doors to them because we, we you know this is this facility is all closed off, meaning that you know they don't want to be do anything that is going to harm the computers but uh, the one woman in Swedish said uh, no 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 let's let's have a heart and help them you know tell them whatever they need and they were able to basically crack the code that uh, the young
0: bureaucrats and scientists were looking for yeah and the Americans that do pop up in terms of well let me back up a little bit my issue with the second half of this movie is the filmmakers decide to tell the audience exactly what they should think mm-hmm. the the dialogue and the the tonal shift become very hamfisted right and I, I like i copied at some point american scientists come into the task force room and they're trying to help out and they leave like after 3 minutes yeah but one of the americans <laughs> leaves and his parting line is something something Using our nuclear wisdom is the only hope yeah, for the I, salvation of mankind.
1: I, I did notice that,
0: <laughs> and there's a lot of that kind of dialogue in the mm-hmm. second half. In the first half, mm-hmm. it felt real and it felt in the moment, and it was there was an energy to it, and people were trying to hide underneath the tunnel that was cracking. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, this is going to be like a found footage kind of Blair Witch movie. I didn't. It definitely felt that. like
1: that in the first, and especially with people taking selfies
0: as they're running away.
1: Yeah, it, <laughs> probably I mean, something it can, I would do.
0: <laughs> it it does it has a lot of commentary on where we are or where japan is as a culture which yeah, reflects absolutely. other first world nations to an extent and then i felt like it really lost its way uh as we get into the second half there's mm-hmm. because it, it, america essentially wants to drop a nuke on tokyo yeah. in order to destroy godzilla and and yeah. that harkens back Again, to Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And it becomes, the film almost becomes semi nationalistic. It becomes very pro Japan. There's a lot of like, this country can rise up again. We've done it before. And it, which is like a Michael Bay kind of thing, because but
1: I see where you're coming from, but it is a it is a Japanese film. so it's not it's not the us making you know it's not Hollywood making this film. No, and I believe that most of these Godzilla films have
0: a nationalistic bent to them, really. Maybe oh, see yeah, that's the thing because I haven't yeah, seen yeah. them since I was a kid, so maybe that just went right over my head.
1: No, and in, in fact, there's always th- you know in in the 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 better Godzilla movies from the um, which called the uh, Hensei era that started in 1984 and went to 1995. Um, those films were basically all um, had a had a shared continuity, and there was a lot of. Uh, backstory with the, the nuclear bombs that were dropped on Nagasaki and Hiroshima and how we can never use uh, the nuclear option again, especially in Japan. So th- that that sort of uh, rhetoric, it does show up quite often in these films.
0: Oh, okay. So then this is consistent with what a Godzilla movie is.
1: Well, at least the second half is. And I totally agree that there was a huge... <laughs> Huge tonal shift at the, you know, at, and you and you can tell when the half, when the uh, when the half, uh, when the second half starts. It's when Godzilla gets frozen the first time around, or really not frozen. He goes into a deep sleep because he's uh, totally out of energy. And, you know, he's basically he's basically a walking nuclear power plant that yeah. depletes his energy after a certain amount of time and needs to get it back. And this in this case gave him two weeks.
0: Yeah, so for it, it kind of shuts down, and and that allows the movie to take a breath, and and I don't think they could have kept up. I would have been shocked if they were able to keep up the pace of the first hour for for two hours. It, it might have almost been too much on the on the viewer, but On us. <laughs> we would have been exhausted. <laughs> yeah, I was. I, I'm I'm literally felt as if I couldn't breathe. I I had to pause to take notes. There's not enough time. I'm trying to read what's going on on the screen. Also, in the subtitled version, every location is subtitled as well which i don't know if that was intentional for the movie i don't know if that w- is how it was yeah. done
1: it, especially in the beginning uh in the first half of the film you saw that they would you know they would go from one room to another and they would uh basically tell you what room you were in you know you're in the you were in the uh i don't know the
0: like like <laughs> go- governmental ministry waiting room, and then it's at you yeah, exactly. know prime minister's <laughs> chambers, and
1: <laughs> exactly and that's it's it. Before every you scene. got to the big room, you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and
0: every scene, and because the scenes change so quick, and there's I don't think the camera, I don't think there's more than like thirty seconds before there's a camera cut. In it, it's just constant movement, and there was a lot of inventive camera work, a lot of the camera work that reminded me of Breaking Bad. I don't know if hey, you ever yeah. watch Breaking Bad.
1: Yeah, sure. But I don't remember, okay. I, I wouldn't know how to um, apply that to this film.
0: Breaking Bad did a lot of camera work where they would put a camera down in the bottom of, like, a barrel. And Walt and Jesse would pour, yes, gotcha, gotcha. you know, stuff into yeah. the barrel. And and, it, and you had a lot of instances here where cameras were mounted on chairs as the chairs were being moved around. Or, they, you know, someone would hold up a laptop and the camera mm-hmm. on the laptop is looking at the person reading the information.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, when... W- w- when he said that uh, they figured it out for us, and you see all the little green dots on the, yes. on, the on the screen, yes, I saw that. Yeah,
0: yeah, that, and I, I thought that was all really inventive and really interesting. And I'm like, oh, this is a new take. I'm I'm down with that. I can get down with that. But then there's the solution to the Godzilla problem, and I don't think these movies need to be like incredibly clever. Like you don't have to have that sort of aha moment, that revelation. Of, like, Clary Starling figuring out that she's actually in Buffalo Bill's house um, right. at the end of Science of the Lambs. There's that revelatory moment, but the revelatory moment is this is a sort of genetic map that is left behind by uh, a scientist named Maki who was researching Godzilla. Right. And the way they solve it. <laughs> is <laughs> by folding the map into a form of origami. And it yes. is so hand-wavy and so like, listen, the solution here isn't important. And really, the solution from a, from a narrative point of view, from a storytelling point of view, is mm-hmm. not the thing. But this is all about symbolism. This whole movie is about symbolism yeah, and absolutely. allegory and metaphor. Yeah, right. but, the, but it totally, that moment kind of took me out. I was kind of fallen off on the movie at that point anyway. Right. But the fact that they're like, oh, we folded it up like origami, and now the answer is clear. Right.
1: Um, <laughs> I hate to tell you, because I know that you've been pretty high on the MCU, but there was a scene exactly like that, minus the origami, in the second Iron Man film, which is universally thought of to be as the bottom three of uh, with, all the MCU Is MCU that with films. Mickey Rourke? Yes, it is, although, you know, that guy tried to do everything he possibly could. I mean, the story wasn't that great in that film, but there was a scene similar to this where Iron Man had to figure out a puzzle that his father left for him. Uh, uh, who's uh, who's his father? Isn't it John Slattery or, you know, your friend yeah, from John, Mad Men? Yeah,
0: yeah John Slattery is the actor. Right, uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. He, he leaves him a puzzle,
1: basically, a, a map that uh, he left the the clue in this map from 1974 and you really have to see it to believe it but yeah I've seen this before so I, I felt the same way when I saw the origami uh,
0: solution yeah the the problem is is that if you want the, the viewer to believe that the people they're watching are incredibly smart and Tony Stark and the the scientists in Shin Godzilla you you need to believe that they're incredibly smart to figure this out in order to avert the Americans from dropping a nuclear bomb on Tokyo and if you want me to feel that way, your solution has to be equally smart, as good. I believe.
1: I I agree one hundred percent. It definitely, you know, the solution actually itself is not bad. How they came to it is terrible.
0: Yeah, and it just it like, I get that it doesn't matter, and I get that I'm picking at nits here. But if you want me to really be on board and rooting for these people in this room that have had no sleep and they're wearing the same shirt and they're living on ramen. I can't then just look at them and say, look, we folded it into this thing, and now we know what substance we need to freeze Godzilla. Yeah, yeah. Um, what would you think of the final uh, set piece when they actually take Godzilla down?
1: Um, well, I mean, again, I thought it was well done. (laughs) I thought that it was inventive. I mean, they're trying to get this coagulant into his mouth, right? And you gotta figure out a way to do that while he's moving around and killing people left and right. So basically what they try to do was um, get him to expend his power again so they have a fighting chance. And they felt that they did that. Um, I thought the one scene that I thought was a little bit wonky looking was the uh, train bombs. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and that's exactly um, what I was thinking
1: ha- how how the trains would hit him and then basically keep on climbing up his body and just explode I mean you know I, I get it the, the the effects are not the main point of this film um, but that was the one thing that I said mm, it doesn't look as good as it could have
0: but I find that fascinating because we've had so many discussions where for you the effects in a movie carry a lot of weight Right, like it, 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 kind of brings you into the experience. It makes the experience uh, as real as possible. Yes, and but but I'm, in
1: this in this particular case, I, I thought that Godzilla itself looked fantastic. I love the design of this. He was, it was terrifying. It looked like he he looked like he was in pain every time he moved. So I love the design, the effects, which is basically what we're talking about. The human the human effects on Godzilla did not work for me.
0: Yeah, and like all the artillery him. and the missiles yeah. and everything.
1: Although, although this this is real artillery. We're not talking about the toy tanks from the nineteen sixty movies. Obviously, you know where they're obviously little toys or string uh, string airplanes. You know, the, these are at least real, real dro- looking drones that worked. But when they were actually trying to affect the monster, it did not look like it was a smooth transition in CGI.
0: Yeah, and and but like you said, I mean it doesn't doesn't really matter as much it is interesting you just made me think this version of godzilla visually was so different because he's not really the classic monster that you have in your head growing up Mm -hmm. he's Mm -hmm. kind of like getting to that point for most Mm -hmm. of the movie right and i didn't think of it until you just mentioned it about how he almost looks like he's in pain because he is evolving and, and right you know it's Part of the, you know, part of the reason why we do this is for you and I to, like, share our ideas about, oh, well, this is what worked for the movie. And then maybe the other person is like, oh, yeah, that makes no, sense. No, I agree. I, yeah, learned, I learned quite a bit from you. <laughs> and, same, and, and it goes the same way. And I, I didn't really think of it about, like, Godzilla being in pain in this. And obviously that's like a that's like a running thing through these movies too, right? A running theme is that Godzilla is, is a product of our humankind's, yes. you know, yes. mistakes or or things that we should not have done.
1: Hmm yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. and if um and and back to the evolution of the of this character in this movie, I think we saw four or five forms where right before and and as he was frozen, you know, we pan to his tail, which is up in the air, and we see that his sixth form was actually starting. and we are now looking at a possibility of having humanoid mutant godzillas running around that would have been the final maybe um form of, uh, of of this creature running around in which case you know they had already said that he could he could replicate just from his cells so now he you know if this this part of him was uh, if these little mutants were running around it would have taken over the entire world
0: yeah, they, they do say that a little bit before that point where he could he could grow smaller and then reproduce at an exponential rate right. and essentially just swamp the entire world, which is an that, interesting thought too. It's kind of kind of reminiscent of aliens yes. of all those little the head uh shoot. There's an actual name for them within the aliens universe. Uh Xenomorph. That I don't Yeah, yeah, the Xenomorph, thank you, I'm sorry. Well, the
1: Xenomorphs are the aliens, excuse me. Right, the the Xenomorphs, yeah,
0: Yeah. well, but there's also the Facehuggers and the Xenomorphs, right? right? The Facehuggers are the the first version, and then they give birth to the Xenomorphs. Yes, yes. Should we do, should we do, uh, what were the two uh, more recent Ridley Scott sequels, uh, Covenant and Prometheus?
1: Yeah, I I liked Prometheus for what it was, Uh, you know, and I know that it was, uh, a lot of people thought that movie was... uh, Uh, kind of led them down the wrong road (laughs) at least the trailers did and they thought it was going to be so much more I enjoyed it uh, I did not see Covenant because um, I, Covenant I heard was the second too, one, right? Yeah, I heard way too many bad stuff things about that. and I'm not an alien fan to begin with. So I don't even remember how I saw Prometheus that that, that shit normally scares me.
0: Hmm. <laughs> that's good to know. you never saw Covenant. Okay, that's good to know. Um, I'm trying to look at the rest of my notes. I don't want to miss anything because as, as I said to you before we got on here, uh, these are the most notes I've ever taken for a movie. On Movie Challenge accepted. Uh, oh, I was curious, what do you think a Michael Bay Godzilla movie would look like?
1: Oh, it w- there would be fire everywhere. <laughs> fire and explosions everywhere. And, and, and people like Megan Fox running around trying to save the world.
0: <laughs> would John Voight give a speech as the camera slowly pans underneath him and talk about how only America can defeat Godzilla? Yeah. Uh,
1: listen. All all I know is that uh, Nicolas Cage would have to be in there, and somewhere along the lines, there would have to be green smoke. And I, it would probably listen. I would probably watch the damn thing. Who am I, Who am I kidding? Yeah.
0: Yeah, just out of curiosity. Hey, not to digress, we're dig- we're digressing a lot more in this episode than I thought we would. Are you aware that there's a Nicolas Cage movie coming out where he plays himself?
1: No, I did not know that. Although there are a couple of Nicolas Cage movies that I'm thinking about giving you as a uh, as a challenge that you I already gave me got, well,
0: You gave me The Rock.
1: Yeah, I know, but The Rock was at his at his zenith.
0: Oh, <laughs> Back wait,
1: in the mid 90s. You know, there are a couple of movies that came out recently that were very well reviewed.
0: Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, uh, obviously, you're talking about Wicker Man, um, a very... <laughs> oh, God. No, but Pig, and uh, yeah, he's, Pig. he's had kind of a resurgence Pig recently. and Mandy. yeah, Mandy was the other one. And yes. I hear uh,
1: Mandy is, you know, it's like an acid trip, so...
0: You know... Um, Mm-hmm. Not to, uh, now, now we're just letting the audience listen to our planning of the podcast, and I'm not <laughs> yeah, sure if people much, are going to pretty... love this or hate this, uh-huh. but maybe we should do a Nicolas Cage episode because he's done a few movies that have spoken to me when he was younger.
1: And okay. I have one
0: particularly mm-hmm. in mind that I'm not going to share with you. Okay. But it That's might just, be interesting yeah. to do a Nick Cage episode.
1: Well, I think we should tell the audience that we are always looking to do different things that makes uh, makes them happy, what makes us happy when it comes to, uh, to this podcast and watching films. And I think uh, we could tell them that uh, we have a surprise uh, podcast coming up within the next week or so.
0: Yeah, well, we have a couple of ideas that we're working on, but we haven't had a guest. It's been just you and me talking to each other. Right, right. And there's a friend of yours. And why don't yes. you uh, yep. lay the groundwork for Sharif?
1: So, yes, uh, Sharif McIntosh, an old friend of mine. Uh, I've known him since the early 90s. Uh, we, we used to work together, uh, ironically enough, in a movie theater. He has his own YouTube channel, has done some screenwriting work, uh, has done some writing also. And um, I think he'd be a perfect person to come on and help us break down what is going to be your final foray into the MCU uh, Avengers Endgame. So uh, we're going to invite him on at some point next week, and uh, we're going to record with him. He's going to give us a little bit of lowdown on what he thinks of uh, some of the past episodes that he's listened to, and we're going to go over Endgame and tell you how much you're going to love it.
0: Yeah, I'm excited. Everything I know, I've never met him, but everything I've heard about Sharif is that he's a really intelligent, insightful guy, and he's a huge fan of these movies for the most part. Mm -hmm. And and he's been
1: listening to all of our podcasts, and he gives uh, good uh, good insight and good reviews, so uh, definitely somebody worth having.
0: That's awesome. So we're going to have him on uh, shortly. That'll be uh, that'll be coming up in the next couple weeks, depending on our our recording schedule. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess just to to kind of sum up on Shin, uh, such a promising movie. Like this, I was, I was really prepared for this to be like possibly my favorite challenge you've ever given me. Wow! Wow! Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, okay. and then the second half it kind of well, becomes ham. Well, how about this? And...
1: How about this? It was for the first hour, and then it died down in the second. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, unfortunately, it didn't. Um, it didn't keep it up, and that's a problem we all have. But uh, what are you gonna do?
0: <laughs> what are you gonna do? Um, <laughs> on the flip side, the other monster that yes. we watched yes. this week, I gave you the newest Jane Campion movie the New mm-hmm. Zealand, the, the Kiwi, the New, Ze- New Zealander. Yep, Kiwi. Yep, yeah, Kiwi. Uh, filmmaker who's been around for a long time, very well yep. respected. Uh, her mo- her newest movie is out on Netflix. It's The Power of the Dog. Mm-hmm. And I gave that to you because I watched it with my wife and yep. I said, Arco's got to watch this movie. Uh, I can't, you know, let me let me just ask you, what the hell did your wife think watching this film? So my wife, God bless her, mm-hmm. watches or at least sits on tries. the sofa next to me when i watch a lot of weird stuff mm-hmm. and i will occasionally be like oh man what'd you think and she will respond in a manner that leads me to think she's on board and she's like mm-hmm. oh yeah i'm into this oh cool and then when it's over i'll turn to her and try to have a deep discussion she's like listen i kind of blinked out when when those two guys stab each other in the neck or yeah, if right, there's right, right. like an if it's a nicholas winding refend movie or if mm-hmm. it's a David Lynch movie and there's like no talking for a long time. Right. Um, has, has been she, known to happen. <laughs> she thought it was beautiful. Uh, she enjoyed it. I don't think she would watch it again. Mm-hmm. I'm curious what you thought. Okay. So, you know, as far as it being beautiful, yes, it was beautifully
1: shot. I mean, you know, the cinematography is breathtaking in this film. It really is. Um. We are on a uh, little bit of a Benedict Cumberbatch kick the last few weeks, you know, with how much we've spoken about him in the Avengers and Spider-Man films, so it's nice to see him in something different. Um, it's I, I forget that the man is English because I haven't seen him, you know, with anything other than an American accent for the last five years, um, having never watched the old Sherlock films and hell, even his take on Khan during uh, in the uh, for the Star Trek film, he didn't have an English accent. So I enjoyed looking at this film. However, <laughs> however. Oh, what? This oh film, this film. Okay. I'm not going to tell you I didn't like this film. Okay. I will never watch this film again. Um, and it was, <laughs> I may have been cursing you as I'm watching it because I had to stop a few times. Uh, I did it uh, a few days ago, watched the whole thing. I think that the, the day that you gave it to me, I watched it. And it made me so uncomfortable in so many spots. I don't like being uncomfortable. I'm not a person that. Um, I won't run away from confrontation, but watching things that are yeah, I don't know, uncomfortable on the screen makes me squirm. And I hate that feeling. And I'm not saying something disgusting. I'm saying the way that people are talking to each other or talking down to or talking about. And, and a lot of that came from Cumberbatch, who played an absolute asshole in this film. I mean, from the minute that he got on there, the, from, the, from his first words, you could tell that he was just going to be a bad, bad human being. It, it was very uncomfortable to watch him just progress as a character.
0: He is, his Phil Burbank in this is one of the most disturbing villains oh, God. I think I can remember on screen in a really long time.
1: And he does a great job. He great sells job. it really well. Sells it really well because boy, do you hate him. So, I mean, you know, as an actor and as people that enjoy good actors, you can't say a bad thing about this performance, but boy, does it stick with you. You said it was a gut punch. It definitely was because I, I think back of the things that he was saying and the, the way that he treated other people in this film, uh, You know, did you know that Jesse Plemons, Plemons, however you say his last name, is married to Kristen Dunst in real life? Yes, I did not know that.
0: Yeah, they Uh, were they were in a they did a season of Fargo together. I think the third season, if I'm Mm -hmm. right, which is not my favorite.
1: Okay, so I love Kristen Dunst ever since her very first film um, uh, that I saw. Her, I think her debut film was. uh, what was the cheerleading film from two thousand? That was the first film. Yeah, bring it on. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, that was that was a great film. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I, gonna fault. I've liked her. I, she was she was I'm jo- Mary Jane I'm joking. at one point. I, I didn't see that one. I, I'm uh-huh. talking. I'm talking about Interview with the Vampire. She was great in that film. And Wait, she was tell.
0: in Interview with the Vampire.
1: Hey, come on, you, you're kidding me, right? <laughs> I never saw
0: I never saw interview with a vampire.
1: You never saw interview with a vampire. Wow, well, that's something. Um, oh, I oh, dear to, God! I, no, 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 no. I mean, <sighs> it was good for what it was, but she was that was her first film. I mean, I'm, I'm sure she did commercials. How old was she? Woman. Hang on, that was she 94. Was she
0: was she was yeah. born in 82, so she was
1: 12. <laughs> And let me tell you something, she acted even younger and looked even younger in that film. But she was she had such a presence in that film that you knew then that she was going to be a great actress. And she's done a lot of great uh great roles through the years.
0: Yeah, she really has. I'm looking now, I get her confused every now and then with um Julia Styles from the uh yes, Born yes. the Born films. Right, right, right.
1: Not a big fan of hers. Uh, I, she's I, great I in like, the born movies. Yeah. yeah, I like Kirsten Dunst better though.
0: Uh, Kirsten Dunst has had a hell of a career she was a, she was Marie Antoinette she was mm-hmm. uh, she was in Wimbledon a very good uh, movie uh Woody Allen movie yep. she was in let's see uh, she was in melancholia bachelor yep. yeah I mean like she's been around for a long time and, and absolutely
1: yeah uh, she also played a good part in um, oh God, the Kevin Costner film um, with uh, when they're uh, trying to put people in space. And um, she she plays. Is, um, it's on Disney. I'm sorry, I can't remember the exact film right now. But I, but she had a pretty prominent role in that particular film, and I thought she was very good in that.
0: Huh. yeah I have no clue what that movie is and I'm a yeah. huge Kevin Costner yeah. fan and no, I'm gonna have to, I'm
1: gonna have to look at it now so eh, it's okay I'll get back to you.
0: <laughs> but yeah um Power the Dog is, takes place in 1925 in Montana. Uh, right. New Zealand uh, mm-hmm. for the filming, New Zealand steps in for Montana because yes. champion shoots most of her stuff in New Zealand, which is a, by all accounts a beautiful country. Yes, yes. And Phil Burbank plays a rancher. Jesse mm-hmm. Plemons plays his brother. And uh, Plemons marries Kirsten Dunst, who right, has right. a son from a previous marriage, uh, yes. played incredibly by Cody Smith McPhee. Yes, yes. And Cody Smith McPhee is sexually ambiguous. Possibly, um, yeah. he's he's not in 1925 Montana. He doesn't he doesn't blend with the acceptable. <laughs> he doesn't fit view in very manhood.
1: well. He doesn't fit in very well. No.
0: And Burbank decides to torture him emotionally. Oh, he also tortures Kirsten Dunst and he tortures his brother.
1: He does his very best from the minute that he sets eyes on them to really torture them. From from the minute that he um, burns the paper flowers that, um, uh, what's his name, Pete, Pete puts together um, for people at his mother's uh, little restaurant stop to... You know, just basically calling her a money-digging whore yeah. when he finds out that his brother has married her. And he wants nothing to do with them, but he
0: will do anything he possibly can to make them miserable. Because yeah. he's miserable himself. Because he is miserable, because he's repressed. Really? And yes. the, the sort of the world that he is in does not allow him to be, uh, who, he wants to what be. He, who he wants to be. Which, yeah. I mean, this is the opposite kind of movie as some of the other ones we've watched and to an extent godzilla shin godzilla tells the audience this is what this is this is how you should feel about it and i'm okay with a movie saying this is what this is clearly i don't Mm -hmm. it's not my preferred style but i do have a problem when a movie says this is how you should feel about it Mm -hmm. and i think there's a lot of pop culture and low art being made right now uh, concerning the notion of toxic masculinity. Mm -hmm. And in a lesser filmmaker, in a lesser filmmaker and screenwriter's hands, Mm -hmm. it can become very ham-fisted and very direct and very on the nose. And I don't think Campion ever... Tells you how you should feel about Phil no, Burbank. No, I, I think that it,
1: to your point, it would have actually come off as insulting if she had uh, directed it in that way, shown us in that way that you're talking about the fact that Phil Burbank to me was a repressed homosexual man, or at the very least had had leanings or yearnings in that way. Because you saw that later on in the, in the film, I think that it was done very well. And I did not catch on to that until later on, but then it all made sense. And when he finally had somebody, you know, there was a point in this film in the last uh, last third, where he is now working alongside Pete, and he is he being nicer to him. I can't say nice, but nicer to him. It's almost like he feels like he has a kindred spirit along with him, so he could feel he feels a little bit better about his situation and maybe kind of comes out a little bit and he's a little bit more comfortable
0: in his life. Yeah, he doesn't, like, come out in the modern sense of the word regarding his his sexuality, but he does sort of reveal himself to be a much more three-dimensional person than just this Mm -hmm. uh, aggro, over-the-top, sort of hyper-masculine man that he portrays himself to be for most of the movie. And I thought it was interesting... Because he, like you said, he does sort of let on to that. And there's a character who never appears because he's dead by the time the, the story starts. Bronco Henry. <laughs> Bronco Henry. If I had and, to hear it one more time, Bronco Henry story. And at <laughs> some point, I don't remember where, I turned to Nicole, my wife, and I said, I wonder what the deal is with Bronco Henry and Phil. And I think mm-hmm. the my inference, because there's so much in this movie that is left to the viewer to put the mm-hmm. pieces together... I think it's pretty clear that Bronco Henry had some sort of uh, uh, pederastic relationship with uh, Phil Burbank, with uh, Cumberbatch's character. Yes, um,
1: although although his brother was also along with them, and you know Phil kind of, for whatever reason, looks back on those memories that happened 25 years or so earlier with a lot more uh, fondness and affection than his brother does whenever he brings him up.
0: Yeah, and it's oh, it's also interesting that Plemons's character is so much of a nothing. Like, oh, in nothing. every way, he, he's yeah. he's spineless, he's, he's mm-hmm. doughy, and I don't yeah. mean physically doughy, I mean, uh-uh. like, there's no backbone to that character. No. And Phil is the opposite. Phil is all backbone. There's a yeah. great scene, there's so many great visual scenes, but there's a great sequence of Phil Burbank just walking through a herd of cattle, and mm-hmm. all the cattle part, yep. and then reform behind him. And... You get everything you need to know about that character in that one fifteen second sequence of him yeah. just walking. And well, the re-
1: probably the reason why is because the cattle knows what he can do with that knife.
0: Yeah, yeah, probably.
1: <laughs> um, and uh, if anybody wants to see how how they take care of uh, male uh, of, of bulls,
0: how they castrate uh, out the, out the bulls out there,
1: Yeah, they castrate with their hands, and boy oh boy, they're not even no gloves even.
0: Oh, no, man, not oh at man. all. Oh, um, God. I also thought that uh, going back to the the, the Cody Smith McPhee character, mm-hmm. uh, Peter Gordon, that character could have been in a, in a lesser actor and a lesser writer's hands. Similar similar respect for for Campion and the actor. That character could have been handled in either a much more uh, overt and almost uh, cartoonish way. But there's a cunningness, and it's just under the surface with that Peter Gordon character, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and he is much stronger then you're led to believe because you, oh, you know 100%. I, yeah, I, I
1: wholeheartedly agree. I thought that there was something uh, not sinister about him, but that he would definitely turn out to be uh, to have much more strength within him um, than shown throughout the film. And we see that towards the end, where he is not letting Phil or any other uh, of the other. Um, uh, farm hands or ranch hands really get on his nerves the fact that he takes his mother's alcoholism in stride he you know he he he, he even impresses phil at uh, one point when they're working on the fence and he sees a injured rabbit and phil's just talking about like putting it out of his misery and here is uh peter just stroking it you know calming it down and what's he do twists his freaking neck off and kills it right then and there and when he when he did it you could see phil's actually get startled that he was able to do that and i think that that was a moment that really endeared him to phil but it also kind of like is almost like a spider brought him into the web so he could do what he ended up doing
0: to him yeah you realize in that moment when when uh peter gordon kills the rabbit that this character is much more than what he seems to be. And he's something, he's a force to be reckoned with. Exactly. And his, his dedication to his mother, because uh, Rose Gordon, her previous husband, had killed himself, and she sort of descends into alcoholism. She's in a loveless marriage uh, with with uh, the Jesse Plemons character. And I was very curious, because you and I have, have talked often on this pod and, and off the pod, about how we prefer... Information in our movies and our TV shows to be kind of given to us differently. I want to connect yeah. dots. You're okay if a you know if a character says mm-hmm. exactly what's on their mind, right? You and and this sounds like a condescending question. It's not mm-hmm. meant to be. Okay, go ahead. Did you pick up the ending the first time through? Did you get everything that was going on?
1: Um, are we talking about how he skinned the anthrax-infected animal and gave it to uh, Phil to use yeah. on his? Yes. No, I I, I got that.
0: So I did too, but now okay, thank you. Because I went online and I started reading some reviews, and I'm on. Uh, there's a social uh, film network called Letterboxd that I am mm-hmm. on. If you wanna, if you wanna look for me, just look uh, Jason Allison. You can follow me on there. We post all the all the films that we're doing on the podcast on Letterbox. It's a lot of fun, and a lot of people who I respect on that podcast on that i'm um, sorry on that platform didn't think that highly of this movie because they were confused about the ending really yeah which kind of <laughs> and and i mean not again this i'm gonna sound like an asshole but mm. you got it right straight off the bat i got yeah, it but but i got it because you know for
1: i i've learned about anthrax and bio oh, bio bio Weapons like that in the past and knew that in when it came to the hides of infected animals, that the water would uh, reactivate the anthrax spores. And, you know, we saw that happening. So I knew that that, you know, yeah, Peter was cutting it with his um, with his uh, gloves on. Yeah. And we knew that Phil never had gloves on anything. So he didn't care. He had a wound. So I knew that this was uh, Peter's way of, you know, for all intents and purposes, killing Phil. Yeah. And, and, and it just shows how strong a character he really is. And you really can't judge a book by its cover.
0: Yeah, because even as we're getting towards the end and Phil gets sick and his brother takes him into town to the doctor. And then it's just the next scene in terms of, again, a filmmaker <laughs> not refusing to connect the dots for mm-hmm. the audience. The mm. very next scene, boom, Phil's dead. Uh, well, not even you don't even know he's dead, but he's
1: picking, but his brother's picking caskets for him. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah.
0: And, and and you realize because the last I think the last shot of the movie is Peter Gordon sliding the rope that he made underneath his bed yes. from the animal hides. yeah yep. yep. Uh-huh. And when that hit me, and I put two into because it, it, it's I'm not gonna say it was a Kaiser Soze moment because. Mm-hmm. When I first saw The Usual Suspects and you realize that Kevin Spacey no, is Kaiser Soze. Yeah, but, but, but it definitely fits that, it, that, that analogy. It definitely fits. And you go back and if you look at all the seeds of this mystery that were planted in mm-hmm. terms of, like you just said, don't touch the animals with anthrax. You know, you right. can't get that on you. Uh, mm-hmm. Phil gets a cut on his hand and he, all the emotional torture that he puts Peter Gordon through uh Mm -hmm. i i i just felt like it all worked so well and then the fact that it was beautiful and there was no there was no cgi all those (laughs) all those cattle were real cattle
1: you know uh that's fine you can make fun of cgi Uh, you know for for me i I like a little bit of stuff every once in a while what can i tell you however a, a beautifully made movie like this does not bother me what bothers me is the amount of of um scenes that made me uncomfortable um yeah. let's go back one thing though this this is what I, why i love talking to you and i love talking to anybody about films because i'll pick up a lot of different things that i don't see on uh first first time around but you say that um she was in a loveless marriage with uh, phil's brother um jesse i'm sorry jesse Clemens. is that uh, that's, yeah jesse uh, Plemons. Yeah, jesse plemmons's character and i didn't see that I just felt that she was, you know, descending into alcoholism because of the, her situation that she was in and how miserable she was with Phil. But you know, I, as, you know, um, uh. Jesse Plemons' character loved her. He, I mean, Jesse, he he did everything he possibly could
0: for her. Okay, yes, but I'm going to counterpoint you here. Okay, Jesse Plemons' character in this, who uh, we keep referring to him to Jesse as Jesse Plemons, he is George Burbank. George. George Vega. Much less, he's Manly. the opposite of yeah. Phil in mm-hmm. all the best ways and also all the worst ways. Okay, okay. right? Because I, I you need aspects of Phil. Like, not every aspect of ma- of traditional masculinity is in itself inherently evil. Right. And I think there are people that believe that like all aspects of masculinity are inherently evil, and you know that's not the case. Everything is shades no, of, of gray. Not. Of but George is just so not there in any respect and i think maybe you're right maybe i'm reading maybe i should walk that back maybe that statement is i think you're right uh, along those lines and you know there could be he could be
1: overbearing A, a person could be overbearing in their affection and love for somebody as as silly as that may sound it could be too much for somebody where they're overwhelming somebody else with the amount of affection that they have and you know he there was the scene where he's he, he gets a grand piano a baby grand piano for her to play because he knows that she can play some music and he wants to impress his parents and the governor apparently you know they're well enough to do that the governor of Montana comes to visit them and you know she makes a fool out of herself even though he she was telling him I can't play very well all I can do is you know a little bit here and there and but he he doesn't know any better he feels that you know he keeps on pushing and pushing and pushing and that kind of also stresses her out also.
0: Well, yeah, and then there's the scene before what you're talking about, and Keith Carradine shows up for a cup of coffee as the governor character. Mm -hmm. But there's a scene when she's practicing, and you can tell she can't play to the level that George needs her or wants her to play, and she's desperate to get out of it. And Phil just lingers up on the second floor landing Mm -hmm. with the banjo, and he's able to play the song she's trying to play by (laughs) ear, and he plays it perfectly perfectly.
1: And he, could, he can also whistle it very well. He can also whistle
0: it, and it's just so <laughs> eerie and not eerie, It's just so terrifying to it have really is. Cumberbatch yeah. up there with the banjo, and you can tell you can just see Kirsten Dunst just breaking under that pressure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she
1: she played this role amazingly. You yeah. saw her going from you know a widowed mother, uh, y- widowed young mother, you know, middle I don't think she was middle aged but uh, you know to a broken down alcoholic woman who, you know, can't get out of bed most days. I mean, that's yeah. what that's how she played, it. and she played it fantastically. It really was amazing. And I would not. I know that this particular movie has gotten a lot of Oscar buzz, uh, mostly for uh, Cumberbatch and maybe for Campion as director. I wouldn't be surprised if you saw something for Duns too.
0: Yeah, so would I. Uh, I. I I think she's. I think she was great in this. I think every, I think everyone on the screen: Cody Smith McPhee and Plemons, and just it was one of those movies that it's very hard to look away it was very hard to look away from Godzilla in the first right. hour because it right. was so propulsive and in this it's almost the movie kind of envelops you and it right. draws you into this world and then at the very end it slips a dagger between your ribs yeah. and then you're like holy shit what what just happened
1: yeah. what just happened yeah uh, it was uh, well you know going back to the um to the to the awards possibility with this i mean i'm not sure if you knew this but and i don't know what kind of stock you put in the japanese um academy for um uh, for movies but shin godzilla won picture of the year and director of the year and we're talking about a godzilla film you know And, and while it while in the west it you know never gonna never gonna knock your socks off out here in that particular uh that genre in in japan you know, even though it makes money there, they really kind of laugh at it also. It's kind of, you know, they're winking a, a nod to Godzilla because of what it's done for them. But to win Picture of the Year and Director of the Year is actually a very big accomplishment.
0: I mean, I wouldn't fault it. It's a really well-done movie. It's an interesting take. According to IMDb, it made $78 million worldwide. Right, so, which
1: I guess is not not a lot of not a lot of money either. But I mean, they they had a very I, I, limited see, release here in America.
0: No, no, it's interesting you say that. Okay, and this is going to lead into we're we're going to pump up. Uh, we're we're doing a special episode soon, and and I'll feed into that. So seventy eight million dollars to you is not a lot of money. The gross, according to IMDb, in in the U S. and Canada was one point nine million. So most mm-hmm. of that money came from presumably Japan. Right, but it's it's interesting to me now that you look at a movie that made seventy eight million dollars, I don't know what the budget was, it's not listed, and you million. say fifty million? Fifteen. Fifteen. Okay. One so point. this is mm-hmm. this is a huge return on investment then. But you don't think it was a lot of money, do you because you've been conditioned by Kevin Feige and the Marvel <laughs> machine to believe that if unless a movie makes one point nineteen bajillion dollars in its opening four minutes of release that right. the movie's a failure.
1: No, I don't think it's a failure. Okay. However, I do know that the fifteen million dollar budget is not really including the advertisement. And most of the time it really doesn't. Um, you'll see that a budget is going to be the production costs of making the film, and then you know, the advertisement's gonna be a, a separate extra. So do they spend another five or ten million on it? Fine. It still makes a great return on investment. I agree. But for a film that may, that got such huge accolades, you would imagine that 78 million would have been 150 million, a couple of hundred million. that, that, that would be to be uh, that would mean to me that it was um, even taken a little bit more seriously even in Japan than it was.
0: Okay. So this conversation that we're having right now, this is the start of a conversation that we've been having (laughs) privately for years. Uh And Mm -hmm. so far we've done 12 of these episodes and they've all focused on movies, individual films. You and I are going to put together an episode coming up soon about the future of movies, capital M movies, in terms of Where we're going because obviously Power the Dog was released on a streamer was released to Netflix. Yep. And a lot more movies are are, are popping up on Amazon and Netflix and and the streamers direct and HBO Max the whole day and day deal. Neither of us are scholars or journalists or affiliated with the industry in any way. No, but. We're gonna have a discussion coming up soon about where we think movies are going, whether or not it's good or bad, and we're gonna test out a different kind of episode coming up pretty soon. So can't wait! Can't wait! Yeah, we? that's looking gonna be. To it. Yeah, I'm. I'm looking forward to just, just two guys with no knowledge throwing opinions back and forth. <laughs> oh, which,
1: we're not that bad. We have a lot of knowledge, and you know what? We're paying for it, so uh, I, I, you know, our opinions have to matter at some point.
0: That's right. Listen to Arco. Our opinions matter. We have microphones god damn it
1: hey people are listening and we appreciate that by the way and uh so you know maybe maybe they don't agree with our opinions but they have opinions themselves whether they agree with us or not uh they see that um what we're doing is uh it's needed jason somebody needs to say these things
0: we we are out here saving hollywood from itself that's what we're doing i don't know about that but okay (laughs) but yeah and guess what people can have opinions and they can differ and that's okay it's not Absolutely. the end of the world people. Absolutely, we, uh, Arco and I are are welcome disagreement.
1: Yeah, please of. send them in. Whatever you whatever you got, we're happy for suggestions. So I, I know some people have been sending in some, some things to us uh Jason which I actually have to go over with you about what films we should watch in the near future. So we're always taking suggestions and um anybody have any opinions on anything they're they're hearing uh, on the podcast, please let us know. We're here yeah. to uh, make you happy and while uh, and making it better in the long run.
0: That should be the subtitle of this podcast. Movie challenge accepted, colon, here to make you happy. Uh, I think that'll probably wrap it up on Shin Godzilla and the Power of the Dog, our impromptu movie monster week. Yeah. Uh, next week, we, are, are we doing... Hmm. We didn't discuss this ahead of time. Are we doing proper challenges next week or do we anticipate next week maybe being the end game standalone or should we issue challenges now? I, I thought we would do
1: both, to be quite honest with you. So okay. uh, if you have, if you have a challenge for me, you know, if uh, you know, a good chance you'll get two podcasts uh, uh, next week, folks, because uh, we do plan meeting with uh, Sharif at some point next week. So if it's not uh, next week, the week after, you'll definitely have two. Um, but I have one; I'm ready to go. So well, you let me know if you have something.
0: Um, why don't you give me yours first? I've got a couple that I'm looking at here.
1: Okay, so we are going to go someplace that you have never gone before. Um, uh, actually, now that, now that I say it, there are two here. Did you say that you have never seen the movie King of New York?
0: Oddly enough, I mm-hmm. have not.
1: Wow, have you? but you've heard
0: of it, right? Oh my God, Christopher Walken, New York oh, City, yeah. uh, crime epic. Yeah, oh, I yeah. can't believe I've never, I've never seen it. Uh, okay, but you know who else is in this film?
1: Uh, not offhand, I don't. As a, as the as my brother's dog is drinking in the background, I apologize if you hear him. okay. So here we go. You ready? Yeah. Christopher Walken, David Caruso, Larry Fishburne, Victor Argo, Wesley Snipes, uh, Steve oh Buscemi, Giancarlo Esposito, and probably a bunch of other people that you've seen at some point or other in some other films. I loved this movie. I love it. This is love, not love, a love challenge.
0: This, this is something I should have seen in my life and I can't believe I haven't. It
1: is gritty, it is dirty, it is sordid. Um it it you know, it takes place in 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 the underworld where you live, Jason, where you live in your mind and in on on the on the paper that you when you write. This is definitely the type of film that you could definitely get into. I loved it. Um, loved it when it first came out never heard never saw it in the movie theaters but I saw it when it came out and uh, on VHS like 91 92 and have loved it ever since whenever it's on it comes and goes on Netflix I always try and catch it at least once so my challenge to you is King of New York 1990s
0: Yeah, I accept that gladly. You've given me a few movies like this in Confidence, like some Mm -hmm. movies that have kind of thrown me for a loop that I didn't expect you to to give me. So, all right, now I'm looking. I will gladly accept that. Mm -hmm. My list is starting to get fleshed out. I've mostly been kind of taking these as they come to me. Right. And I ordered a Criterion DVD the other day. It hasn't come in yet. Physical media. We love physical physical media. We do (laughs) love physical media. And I don't believe you saw the 2019 winner for Best Picture, Parasite. I did not. We spoke about this yesterday. And this
1: was... Look at this. This As soon as uh, my friend uh, Jennifer hears this podcast, she will hear that her suggestion has come to pass uh, just yeah, the
0: other day. So her, this is great. Yeah. You sh- You mentioned her to me, and I said, oh, yeah, because that movie is beloved by me and by a lot of other people. Uh, Bong Joon-ho's nine, uh, 2019 Best Oscar best Picture winner, mm-hmm. uh, Parasite. Right. That is my challenge to you. I highly suggest you you see it with the subtitles. I've never seen it dubbed. I don't know if there's a version that's dubbed. Right. But um, right. yeah, I, I love that movie, and that's what I'm giving you.
1: Now, let me ask you a question. Bong Joon-ho, is that also the gentleman who uh, directed... Mm, Snowpiercer?
0: Yes, it is. Okay,
1: now you've seen Snowpiercer. I love
0: Snowpiercer. Okay,
1: I love Snowpiercer too. I, that was actually one of my uh, films that I had to ask you about. Um, just one thing, is Parasite
0: going to make me feel uncomfortable? <laughs> You know, it's kind, I don't want to ruin anything, but uh, Parasite okay. is so mm. many different kinds of movies. Okay. okay. It, it it shifts in tone, but not the way Shin Godzilla does where the tonal mm. shifts are kind of jarring and right, they right. take you out of the moment. It's like Parasite constantly increases the volume until they mm. go all the way up to 11 final okay. tap yeah. reference yeah <laughs>
1: okay well then you know what parasite challenge accepted looking all forward right. to it
0: yeah. yeah i'm looking forward to uh to it also and we're gonna have uh, an episode a special episode coming up with sharif another special mm-hmm. episode coming up on the state of the movie industry because god knows that's what hollywood needs to know is what two guys on the east coast <laughs> think about their industry that makes a ton of yes. money
1: yes absolutely
0: all right so man this was a good one i had a great yeah, time absolutely. had fun Thank you so much Arco Um, Thank you Thank you to everyone for listening And uh, we'll see you next time On Movie Challenge Accepted Take care everyone